Hi, I'm Julie Kratz of Pivot Point, and we're talking about how men and women partner together for equality. And you're listening to the Brand Journalism Advantage. Episode 424. Giving people permission to have these tough conversations and bring awareness to it and then call out that behavior and have an open feedback cycle that we talk about the tough stuff in our organization. We talk about the tough stuff with our allies. The Brand Journalism Advantage, the podcast that teaches the power of storytelling to increase business by attracting, engaging, and influencing consumers. Now, it's time to think like a journalist with your host, brand journalist, Phoebe Changchua. Hello, brand journalism community. I'm Phoebe Changchua. Thanks for tuning in to the Brand Journalism Advantage podcast. Here we go with the inside scoop. On today's show, Julie Kratz. Julie is a highly acclaimed leadership trainer who leads teams and produces results in corporate America for nearly two decades. After experiencing her own career pivot point, Julie developed a process to help women leaders create their winning career game plan. Welcome to the show, Julie. How are you? Good, good. So thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show, Brand Journalism Community. Um, Julie, as you just heard, specializes in working with female leaders and her company um, does a lot of research. And we're going to use that research on today's show because we're talking about how men and women partner together for equality. And, you know, this is really something that um, we certainly have not covered in 400 plus episodes uh, in this way anyway. And it's important now, especially in light of all of the Me Too um you know, stuff that's going on, all of the problems that are coming up. So Julie, you say you have four proven strategies to help engage allies in your career and to also help close that gender gap in any organization. Tell us just a little bit about that. Absolutely. So what the research shows is that there really are ways that we can start to close the gaps from a gender perspective. Um, Me Too is is kind of a symptom of a a much larger problem about having productive conversations across both genders. And so what we found in our research is that first and foremost, um, engaging allies leads to career success for women. And so a lot of times our male allies, if we start a dialogue with what I call the WIFM, what's in it for men, because <laughs> there's lots of great benefits to organizations and to our male colleagues when we have gender parity in organizations. Uh, the second key piece is around story sharing. So knowing your story, owning your story as women, and engaging allies in your story to support you, because the third piece is speaking up and speaking up together. And so our allies actually speak up with us, not for us. And work and life integration is the fourth piece. We're really having a good understanding inside your organization about how to integrate both of those. It's not work-life balance. It's truly integration today. And there's a male and female role in that. Uh, Well, we have gotten right into it, brand journalism community. And Julie's going to unpack that a little bit more in the the four strategies. So you'll have a little bit more on that. You'll always be able to find the show notes at thinklikeajournalist.com. That's coming up a little bit later in the show. We kick it off with our icebreaker, though. And... um, Julie, this is interesting because of what you're doing today. She writes that she's driven bulldozers. So was this a a past (laughs) career? Was this a hobby? What's that all about? You know, it's funny, Phoebe. I, it's kind of a metaphor to what I do today, <laughs> blazing new trails uh, for women leaders. But now, um, in all seriousness, my the first chapter of my career was at Caterpillar. 
so the construction company. And we actually spent some time at the proving grounds driving bulldozers. Personally, though, my favorite was the skid steer, which is kind of like a little go-kart type of thing with a bucket on the front. Uh, but yeah, I spent part of my career uh, working in construction. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, you know what? Sometimes that's just the way to roll, right? That can be fun. <laughs> it was. It was a lot more fun than I thought it'd be. <laughs> all right. So let's... Um, let me give you this quote that I found because I like to pick a quote that's appropriate for the episode. And, and this one, um, this woman's just been phenomenal. Uh, and it goes like this. I raise up my voice, not so I can shout, but so that those without a voice can be heard. We cannot succeed when half of us are held back. Yeah. You know, I think especially as women, um, holding each other up, supporting each other is so, so critical, especially we're at a point in time right now more than ever where we need each other, um, as well as the support of our male allies. But it, it reminds me of just the importance of female empowerment, female to female. Um, probably one of the biggest questions that I get asked when I speak with audiences about allies and how to engage them and how to build cultures of allies is, wow, we really need females supporting each other too. We need our female allies. That is very and true. My, my, one of my favorite quotes on that, Madeline Albright, pretty well-known one, is there's a special place for women that don't support other women. And I, I think that that's to me where I take that is that, wow, we really, really have a lot in the power of women together, supporting each other, in, in addition to our allies, bringing them to the conversation, like, wow, couldn't we really create some positive change if we were all in this together? Mm, so, so true. Sticking together is where it's at. Um, because that's, uh, that's just a more powerful place for things that, that are great to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it, it seems obvious, right? It seems like very, you know, obvious, like, why wouldn't we be doing that? But there's a lot of examples of where we can hold each other back or unintentionally cause harm to one another. And so I, I think what's helpful about the framework within one, our book, is that it's really four key ways that you can do this. And, and a lot of times, especially men will say, you know, I want to be supportive. You know, I see this Me Too stuff. I don't like it. I want to be a part of the solution, not the problem. What do I do? Because I'm kind of scared. I don't know what to say or if I don't say the right thing. Right. It's so a, little bit, a little bit dangerous, I think, is how some people feel. And in both sides, you know, male or, or female. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a hot topic, but it's a scary one. Yes. Well, Julie, you've written um, a couple of books, one that uh, obviously will be pertinent to this episode called One, How Male Allies Support Women for Gender Equality. Um, I'd like you to tell me how you got into all of this and then take me to a moment in time that is your career highlight and tell us that story. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for asking. So I think, you know, as I've been reflecting on my story and how I got to where I'm at, there was a real critical time in my early career, actually, at Caterpillar. That's where I spent the first four years of my career. So very male-dominated organization, although I would argue most organizations are pretty male-dominated, especially at the top. But, you know, what my learning was as a young person, um, I went into it, you know, one of 11 in our leadership program there. 
um, a female. And so I had 10 male allies right off the bat. And I, I'm very, very fortunate that I had allies early in my career because I got invited to the, you know, boys stuff, you know, per se, you know, the drinks after work, the social gatherings, the sports stuff, you know, they kind of saw me as one of the guys. Um, but I have to tell you, you know, my turning point probably was six months in when I remember sitting down looking at the org chart, the organization chart of, you know, all of the C-suite, the presidents, the group presidents, the v- vice presidents. And I remember looking at that and I was like, oh my gosh, there's only one woman of 45 leaders in this company. And I just was so shocked at the time. I think it was really the, and I was a feminist. I knew about some of the challenges facing women, but, you know, until that point in time, I really thought I had a fair shake at it. I really felt like I was treated fairly, um, that I had equal access to opportunities, but, you know, I can't begin to articulate how I felt when I saw that. And it was just like I had just seen a door close to opportunities that I thought existed. And, and that was a real turning point for me to advocate for positive change, to, you know, keep bulldozing through. Um, but, you know, after a few years of fighting a tough fight and not seeing myself represented in in any really major leadership role, I mean, aside even from the VP down, you know, it's like, well, I don't really feel a sense of belonging here. And, and I think for a lot of women, we look up, we look around for role models, for peers, for examples of success of people like us, and we don't see it. And so we leave. And, you know, a lot of times if you ask women why they leave, they say things like, well, you know, I had children or, um, you know, I just wanted to take a different step in a direction. I really think that's code for I don't belong. I don't feel valued here. I don't feel as important or represented. Um, and I think there's a multitude of other side factors that influence that. But a sense of belonging as a human is so, so critical. So if I were to share kind of springboard from that early um, kind of setback in my career, you know, I went back to school, got my MBA, uh, st- did consulting work for four years before actually starting my own business. And I think the the turning point for me was three years ago, I was at a women's leadership conference for my company, and we were continually talking about the problems and you know, the setbacks facing women and the wage gap and the um, leadership gap and all these gaps that weren't closing. And I just remember looking around and I was like, man, there has got to be a solution to this problem. Like we are talking about problems and no solutions. It's just, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so that's when I started Pivot Point. And I think that was really kind of my um, flagship moment in my career was I've got to be a part of the solution, not the problem. And um, out came Pivot Point, the the book and, and the business. And um, now celebrating our three-year anniversary, I'm really proud of that. Um, it's tough starting a business and it's tough writing two books in three years. But, you know, I I think when you really, really focus in on what you're passionate about and dial in on your why it's been there all along. I just really, I had chosen not to see it until that moment. Mm, Interesting story. Well, share with us the opposite, uh, you know, a time when it really didn't work and, and maybe in your eyes, you know, part of that career highlight, um, came from a point when it didn't work when you saw, wow, this is not working to have only one female in 45 in the top C-suite. That's just not, you know, not, <laughs> not a place that you're going to feel that you will actually be able to grow and expand in um, without a significant you know, amount of hard, hard push and breaking through, um, you know. And bulldozing mm-hmm. your way, as you say. So <laughs> obviously that was a struggle, but but maybe take us down another path and share, you know, another time when it didn't work. What went wrong? What did you learn from it? And how did you find correction as direction? 
Yeah, yeah. A story I love to share is an experience I had, oh gosh, I think it was 2009. So a a bit of time ago, really, really, um, still fairly early in my career. So I was in graduate school getting my MBA at Indiana University. Um, I had a summer internship at a um, Fortune 500 um, consumer packaged good company. At the time, I thought my dream was to be a brand marketer and um, peddle consumer products, which ended up not being my Mm. dream job. But that summer experience, I'll tell you, um, even in a fairly equal female to male ratio um, inside the organization at the, you know, in the brand team, it was actually fairly female dominated, Um, not at the highest levels, but in most of the positions were. Um, I'll never forget, we had a lunch with the CEO at the time, and he came in, and there were, um, of, of the MBA students that were interning there that summer, there were seven of us, two of which were female, and he proceeded to give us kind of this talk, and I think it was meant to be inspirational, but at the end, he turned to me and my female colleague and said, it's going to be hard for you, you know, especially during the childbearing years, you know, that's hard to promote women then. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I just, I mean, it's unbelievable, like we'll see written all over this today, but I have to tell you, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed by my reaction was like, well, at least he's being honest about it. Like, sounds like he's trying to empathize with us. Uh, after HR got involved and like five interactions later with this gentleman, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was really, really unfortunate behavior that was happening inside that organization. And why I think women were not succeeding is because they had that mentality and a culture that was very aggressive and not you know, one that was conducive towards promoting women, especially during this childbearing years. So wow. that was a big setback for me. I mean, it really took um, a big toll on me just from a values perspective. You know, how could I not see this? How could I even for a summer be a part of an organization that didn't support women? And there's no way I was going back there. I mean, they had the nerve to give me a job offer full time. Like, heck no, like, mm. no thanks. And it was the talk of the town when I got back to IU's campus, like, what happened? Right. <laughs> you know, and it just it seems almost unbelievable today. But, you know, what I'll say happens today is is unconscious bias, meaning it's subtle. Um, you know, hiring managers are thinking that like, well, she's got a kid, you know, sure. I don't know if she wants to travel. Those kind of things happen. But no one blatantly says it like this gentleman did. That's right. conscious bias. Right. So, you know, we're still seeing this behavior in the workplace. It's just not being spoken. Oh, absolutely. And and at a different level, you see it, you know, in age too, right? With older employees, things like that. It, it happens in different ways. Um, it, it's almost like you wonder, how do you ever get to the bottom of it? Because sure, when it's conscious um, and it's spoken outright, uh, it, it's, it's just a shocking, but yeah. I, don't, I, I don't know. How do you get around it when it's occurring, whether you like it or not? Uh, yeah, I, I think first and foremost is bringing awareness to it. Um, and so there is things like unconscious bias training that companies are starting to train their workforce on. <clears throat> but I think really, really dispelling Hey, these are the type of biases that tend to impact people from a gender perspective. There's things like the maternal wall I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. There's research around the tightrope of women being too masculine versus too feminine. There's like this little space in the middle for women to operate on. It's very tricky to navigate. You know, bringing awareness to those and I think equipping your organization with tools on how when you do think that, you know, how do you how do you 
practice kind of flipping it. Like if it was the other gender, would I say this? You know, pressure test it yourself. And then most importantly, give your organization or give allies in your career the permission permission to call out bad behavior. And if someone says something out of line, and it could just simply be interrupting a woman or downplaying her achievement or something like that, just say, hey, dude, it's like not okay. Or, it, or if it's a woman, right? Like when you said this, I don't think you meant for this perception to happen, but here's how I took it, you know? And so just bringing, giving people permission to have these tough conversations and bring awareness to it and then call out that behavior and have an open feedback cycle that we talk about the tough stuff in our organization. We talk about the tough stuff with our allies. Great. Let's move into our top tips because this is perfectly poised to get us right in there and unpack them. You started off the show with them. We're talking about brand journalism community, how men and women partner together for equality. And uh, Julie has uh, started off by sharing four proven strategies. Why don't you take us through them? Absolutely. So the first one um, is empathy. And empathy is so, so critical. It's very different than sympathy. It's not, you know, meant to rescue somebody or kind of be that knight in shining armor as an ally. But what an ally does really well is channel the women that they have supported or been supported by in their career and or life. So a lot of the allies shared with us, you know, they had single mothers, they had daughters, they had kind of a reason to believe in other women besides it's just the right thing to do as a human. I mean, I think as women, we really need to tap into that and think about how can we extend our hand to allies, right, and extend that empathy into our career. And the second key piece is about storytelling and story sharing. You know, women, we really, really need to know our stories, own our stories. Where have we been? Where are we now? And then where do we want to go? And then guess what? Your ally can help you get there. An ally can be a mentor, a sponsor, an advocate, a champion, a peer, a leader. Um, the thing is an ally stands beside you. So they help facilitate your thinking. It's more about your own self-discovery than them telling you what to do. They're going to ask a lot more questions and listen more than anything. Um, so <clears throat> as women, I think speaking up um, you know, lean in. It was really great that we kind of bolstered this like, lean in and speak up. But what I think our allies do really well is they speak up with us. So back to what we were just talking about, calling out bad behavior. No, if there is a situation that's tough to navigate as a woman, having an ally on your side that's ready to help you tackle that situation side by side with you, offering support, uh, <clears throat> you know, enlisting and in these conversations and, and being an advocate for positive change and modeling positive behavior for other allies. And then as women recognize that, if they help you speak up or help you facilitate your story, help you get there, you know, make sure that you're also advocating and championing your allies and tell them like, hey, when you said this, it really had this impact on me. Thank you so much. And then the fourth key piece I mentioned was work and life integration. And what I would offer here is there's so much research that shows that women continue um, in a domestic partnership to outpace men in the household, you know, about six hours a week more of work. So as women, I, I think having a divide and conquer conversation with our partners, but also in the workplace, you know, is there an opportunity that I can build my work schedule so that I still can do some of the caretaking activities that are important to me, right? And vice versa, men are fathers too, and fathers should be appreciated, and fathers should be rewarded in organizations. Unfortunately, it is it is not. It doesn't seem to be as valued. You know, there's really hardly any organizations with paternity leave. So thinking about, as organizations, how can we create a place where people can be parents? 
balance and have a life and integrate that with work. Um, and then, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. As women, I, I think we've got to kind of, again, this is an opportunity to speak up ask for it, do some dividing and conquering, um, perhaps some delegation. <laughs> we don't have to do everything. <laughs> That's so true, right? I w- was just going to say, you know, when you were talking about paternity leave, I thought it was so cool because my banker, um, at, and I think it's Union Bank of California, just went on paternity leave. And, you know, it, when he said it, he said, oh, I just want to let you know, because I, I rely on him a lot. And he said, I just want to let you know for the next three months, I'm going to be on paternity leave. My wife took hers and now I'm taking mine. I thought that is so Mom. cool. You know? I love it, you know, that he's going to get that time to bond and, and then it's actually, they get a longer period of time where they don't have to hire somebody to take care of their child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what the research shows with six months at home, a child is going to be much healthier. So the parents are going to have to take time off on the back end and then they can really immerse back into work. Um, companies kind of look at it short sighted as like, oh, three months, that's such a long time. Well, if you think about all of the lost productivity that happens with juggling and trying to make it work and frustration that comes with that, whatever his bank is, they're onto something there. Yes. That's a smart Smart company right there. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, Julie, thanks for sharing. It is time to think like a journalist. You've been hired to help an ailing company. It's about to financially collapse. Now it's reputation shot. You have a month, a thousand dollar budget, a smartphone and a laptop. How do you begin to turn this company around? Oh, yeah. I think really thinking back to what is our purpose? Why do we exist, right? What are the messages? What are the stories that we're telling? And who's our audience? Chances are, if, if it's flailing, uh, if we've deviated from what our why is, right? Who our audience is and how our audience wants to communicate, how they want to communicate with us. So really going back to the drawing page and making sure that we've got our why, that we've got our mission aligned with what our customer needs are. What is one piece of technology, video, multimedia equipment, or app that you just can't live without? Ah, I love Zoom. Zoom is uh, my friend. Uh, I do a lot of podcasting, a lot of interviews, a lot of um, conversations, a lot of virtual meetings and engagements and workshops, and Zoom never fails me. Name one book, documentary, blog, podcast, or internet channel you want to recommend. Uh, Adam Grant just came out with a new podcast, Work Life. It's, it's along with the work-life conversation we were just having, how to engage your employees and how to foster creativity in the workplace. It's awesome. It's only a few, few episodes out so far, but it is riveting stuff. Expert predictions. The year is 2025. We are closing in on that rapidly. But give us a look from your vantage point. What do you think the world's going to look like in particular the topic we're talking about, which is equality, working together, having allies, men and women coming together, um, as opposed you know, to working against each other. What do you think it'll look like mm-hmm. in 2025? Well, I'd love to say these gaps were closed, but the research shows that's not going to happen until 2080. So oh. um, I would say I, I see a world truly with more allies out there. I, I see a world where women have access to male mentors, to male sponsors, that these cross-gender conversations are really, really starting to flourish. And we're having um, a different gender dynamic in the workplace where there's less of the bro culture and a lot more of inclusion. Um, and, and I would love to say, I mean, we're kind of just under 20% of boards, our board positions are filled by women. 
I'd love to say that number goes up to maybe 25 or 30% by 2025. That's a great signal. Um, when you have diverse boards, um, your, your profitability increases by 21%. I can't believe that companies are going to continue to ignore that in the future. Well, I love what you're saying. And, uh, you know, I hope that we move there faster than I, I think you said 2080. That's astonishing. But <laughs> hopefully we close in on a lot on that gender equality a lot faster. But let me close out the show by asking you just a fun question. Where do you like to wine, dine and play? Na- name a spot. Uh, so I'm here in Indiana, and I love the rolling hills of southern Indiana. Brown County is a beautiful place um, with just picturesque hills and trees and places to hike. So I love being outside and going hiking with my family anytime I get a chance to. Perfect. Thank you so much, Julie. You've shared a lot of valuable information. Thanks for being on the Brand Journalism Advantage. Thanks for having me. Hey, Brand Journalism community, you know that you can find all the valuable information in the show notes. All you have to do is head on over to thinklikeajournalist.com and in the search box, type in 424. And this interview and the resources mentioned in this episode will pop right up. Subscribe to the Brand Journalism Advantage podcast and be the media. Now, go think like a journalist.